Welcome to MTSU On The Record. I'm Jenna Lowe. Children in Media is a new course offered by Dr. Katie Foss, a professor of media studies. The ways in which children interact with media and the impact media have on them have long been subjects of discussion, especially when it comes to sex, violence, and commercialism. The course covers these and other aspects of the ways children consume media and some would assert how media consume children. We'll learn more after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. MTSU continues to be a powerful economic engine for the region and entire state of Tennessee, responsible for more than $1.42 billion in economic impact and almost 11,500 jobs statewide in 2021. This according to a new economic report by the Business and Economic Research Center. The study shows that as Murfreesboro's second largest employer, MTSU generates nearly $144 million in local, state, and federal tax revenue, a significant rise over 2017's $88 million. The study also shows MTSU brings nearly 300,000 people to Rutherford County each year. Spending by visitors account for more than $60 million, and that translates to almost 800 jobs. And MTSU will honor five Middle Tennessee unsung heroes who faithfully served their communities during the upcoming 26th Annual Unity Luncheon on the Blue Raider campus. A traditional part of the university's Black History Month events, this event returns this year to its traditional luncheon format on campus and is set for 11.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. Thursday, February 10th in the MTSU Student Union Ballroom. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. Katie, welcome. Thanks for being back with us again. Oh, thank you for having me. In looking at the syllabus for children in media, I found several subjects we had discussed earlier in other shows because the text is a book you edited, Beyond Princess Culture, Gender and Children's Marketing. And there are other readings, of course, but let's start with a review of what Beyond Princess Culture has to say and why you compiled those writings into a book. This book brings together a collection of, of different feminist media scholars to talk about the many ways in which uh, not only do media, different media products kind of target children as consumers, but also this history of, kind of childhood and toys in regards to, to gender and other intersectional positions. Children weren't always thought of as consumers, which is really a kind of an interesting thought, especially from a contemporary perspective in which kids, even as babies, are bombarded with messages with Big Bird on kids' products and everything. Uh, and, and this is something that we really need to understand to set the stage for a course like this. To discuss contemporary topics, we really need to look back into the past and look at this shift, this pivotal moment in which uh, marketing execs realize that, hey, kids can influence the spending of money and even spend money themselves. The people were marketing a little bit to kids through other media before the advent of television, but would it be safe to say it really zoomed forward with the advent of television? I would say so. Uh, and some of this happened a little bit gradually in the 1940s and 1950s as we started marketing or, or making more toys and, and more products, but especially with TV, when you really had these, these narrow-casted or targeted audiences uh, including those four children's shows. I like the fact that the first reflexive essay you require the students to write is called Myself as a Child. 
Uh, even when we were kids, we must have pondered at some point whether we wanted something just because we saw it on TV or experienced some disappointment because a toy that we saw on TV or in other media, we begged our parents to get and then we got it and it didn't live up to the hype. Uh, talk about this assignment for us. I, I like to start uh, most of my kind of critical media classes with an assignment like this in which students reflect on their own media experience, especially as children. And I think we've all had that experience where we wanted something so badly, especially as kids, when we didn't have a lot of control over whether or not we would get it and then got it and it wound up being somewhat disappointing. Uh, it's been absolutely fascinating to have these discussions with students and, and see their, their various different uh, upbringings and how that influenced uh, the extent to which they even experienced advertising, uh, knew about other toys, especially for students who grew up in areas outside of the U.S. in, in which you didn't have this heavy, heavy commercialization of childhood, for example. But getting students to really think about and share with me and share with other students their own experiences uh, kind of sets up uh, our other discussions and the scholarly readings as well. One of the modules in the class is titled The Rise of Competitive Childhood. What do you mean by that in the context of media consumption? So I mean a couple different things. There's kind of branches of this competitive childhood. Of course, there's the rise of the notion that you need to get your kids involved with sports and, and how that's reflected and perpetuated through media messages, uh, including uh, movies for kids about sports uh, and uh, thinking about um, like the movie Ladybug for or Ladybugs, for example, with Rodney Dangerfield, not a great movie, but those kind of narratives that take kids through, oh, you should want to win or uh, Bad News Bears or uh, all those different you know, sports oriented movies. And then uh, kind of post 2000s with the boom of reality television, making reality television for kids, about kids, featuring kids in these various competitions. Uh, and then this is paired with Dr. Swenson's chapter, wonderful chapter on kids cooking shows and how bringing kids kind of at, at the front of these competitive shows kind of sets up for kids that you should want to compete, that you should try to be the best, uh, even beyond kind of your intrinsic motivation to try hard or to want to achieve. And, and there are definitely pluses and minuses with that. You know, of course, we want kids to want to work hard and develop a work ethic and develop passion for what they do. But at the same time, does it set up kids for to fail when they think they have to be kind of ultra achievers in, in everything that they do? And is it worth trying if you can't do it well? And there is there's there's worth in trying. But yet these shows don't convey kind of the, the regular kid, right? Or the mediocre kid or the kid who just likes doing it, but is never going to make a souffle, for example. Suburbia is replete with tales of uh, mm -hmm. Pop Warner League dad coaches who uh, project their Vince Lombardi fantasies onto mm -hmm. their children, and the result Absolutely. is disastrous for the kid, either physically, psychologically, or both. Mm -hmm. that's, uh, that's not healthy, and some of that, you have to believe, is driven by marketing, both of the pro and college leagues and mm -hmm. of the equipment itself, right? Absolutely. And so I think a, definitely a slice of this that drives this competitive childhood is marketing towards the parents, right? And, and feeling like they, if they don't start out their kid in pitching lessons at age three, they're never going to play softball or that they have to do all they can to set their kids up for college scholarships, especially athletic scholarships, when uh, of course, that's not the only way to, to fund college. And I think the admission scandal with Lori Laughlin 
says a lot about the culture that we've become, that it's not, well, hers was certainly a unique kind of celebrity circumstance. The reasons why she did that, I know obviously don't agree with what she did, but the reasons why she did it are driven by this, this thirst for uh, having a kid that can compete among their peers or stand out among their peers. We'll take a break here. We'll be right back. This is MTSU on the record. The Middle Tennessee Writing Project is a program that fosters the effective teaching of writing to students in kindergarten through high school. The project hosts annual summer institutes where teacher participants teach and learn from each other effective techniques of teaching writing. In addition, the project sponsors summer writers camps for youngsters. MTSU is one of 185 sites of the National Writing Project and one of only two in Tennessee. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Specialized training in forensic science prepares tomorrow's professionals through the Forensic Institute for Research and Education, or FIRE. The Forensic Anthropology Search and Recovery Team assists law enforcement with skeletal remains at crime scenes. Legendary forensic scientists provide lectures free to the public, and high school students work realistic crime scenes each summer at our CSI MTSU camp. I'm Dr. Hugh Berryman, Director of FIRE. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. We're talking about children and media, a course that is taught by Dr. Katie Foss, a professor of media studies. One of the hottest issues on the minds of a lot of parents is the amount of time kids spend watching TV or playing video games or on the computer for non-academic reasons. You have a module that deals with that. What do you want the students that you teach to understand about that? Screen time is a part of life, especially as we force kids to be on screens for eight hours a day while they had to distance learn, right? The pandemic has kind of changed how we've regarded uh, screens. But at the same time, not all screen time is equal. Certainly not all TV shows are, are going to give the same messages. Certainly not all social media consumption is going to be the same. And that's why it's really, really important for media literacy to be an integral part of curriculum from the time that kids are really young, that they're learning how to navigate media content, how to know when to say, nope, this is not something I should be seeing. I need to tell mom and dad or how to look out for, for example, cyber bullies. So understanding the, the role of media literacy, both in the home and at school is, is part of this course is something that I want our students to know. The cell phone has become something that is become a virtual appendage of the body that they don't leave home without it device. What about kids who, for whom the cell phone is a womb to tomb device? They've never known a time in their lives without a cell phone, just like I've never known a time in my life without TV. What effect is that going to have on a child's development? Well, it depends on how they're taught to use it and what kind of limits or boundaries they have with the phone. So it, it absolutely can be something just used for emergencies, especially if you have a phone that doesn't do a whole lot where you don't have uh, the various apps downloaded and there's a lot of parental supervision. So I would say that that's, that's at one end of kind of the spectrum if we talk about kids using phones. And the other end, of course, is kids who bring it to school, text throughout the day, are on TikTok, don't have any kind of monitoring or any kind of checkpoint to make sure that they're not consuming content that just isn't good for them. Uh, and, and with that, we also have to consider that it's not healthy for kids to be on it all the time. They need to be taught, nope, now we put away the phone. Now we turn off the phone. This is not a space in which we use phones. And, and I think we, we continue to struggle with that with college students as well, and, and kind of the self-monitoring or checkpoints for ourselves. So 
Part of media literacy is also setting boundaries with technology, including the times in which the phone has no place. What, what is about a child's uh, likelihood to embrace all media, not just the digital media, but to realize that there is value in diversity of different types of media, a book that you hold in your hand, a newspaper that you hold in your hand, a, a particular type of medium is not necessarily antiquated just because it was invented before you were born. That doesn't make it a relic of your grandparents' time necessarily, that depending upon the content and the context, there is value in all types of media. Oh, I completely agree with you. And we can teach that. Students, and, and I should say students, including children, especially children, do need to, ta- to be taught kind of the commonalities or the shared value across different platforms. We start by saying, this is the time in which we put the phone away. And I think, again, that's for our students, too. And, and, and introduce them from an early age to tangible books, that there is a difference between even reading a text online and, and holding a book. You know, fill the homes with books with like Dolly Parton's Imagination Library. So she provides free books from birth to age five. And listen to the radio, expose kids to various platforms so that they can understand that it's not just the digital world that we live in. That's not the only content that we can get. Uh, and explore the different ways that characteristics from one medium absolutely transfer and translate to other platforms. How do you inculcate in children at an early age, the ability to sort out fact from fiction and attempts to pollute their minds with total untruths and misinformation. Start by educating adults. It's very hard for adults to promote media literacy in their own homes if they don't know how to understand credible from uh, completely fabricated sources. Uh, But I I think uh, integral to, to all, I think, K through 12 curriculum should be how to navigate and identify factual information. Uh, and there are a number of different kind of toolkits available to help parents in, in, in doing that and help teachers as well. How do you trust a source? Where do you go for a trustworthy source? How do you know if something is satire? And that's part of it too, is that I think a lot of adults don't understand what the intended creation of content. Just because the content is created doesn't mean it was supposed to be consumed as something factual or something you should run with. Uh, How to understand when just a clip or a quote is taken out of context of a news story or a press release. What's a press release? What's a blog? Those different forms of media. That should be a course in every school. It should be a required course in every college and every university so that we can get media literate adults then teaching future generations. Who has to look at this before it can be released to the public? For example, a lot of people don't understand that. And that's something that kids need to know. If I go to the library, what section do I go? I I think kind of the physical library is a little easier to understand what's intended to be fictional and what's intended to be factual. But you can even start there, a visit to the library to to look at the different types and different genres and audiences, uh, target audiences as well. Uh, And then going online, where do you start? What's your search? What are your search terms? Uh, And this sounds like it should be common sense, but it's really not. Uh, I I think if we surveyed, uh, again, many of our adult population, they might not understand, uh, again, how to read the media bias chart, for example, or the difference between a post on social media, a blog, and something that's produced by accredited news organization. Are media beginning to show more ethnic and gender diversity in their approaches to children? It depends on our examples, but I would say overall, yes. Uh, I think that with streaming shows, for example, we've got we've really expanded the, the type of diverse characters and inclusive characters. 
uh, platforms like Netforum, Net, like Netflix, have enabled and, and produced a lot more diversity. And kids don't care. They like diversity. They like inclusivity. They don't care what color of skin their, their favorite characters have, for example. Uh, they're open to a wide range of storylines until adults say that that's not right or their peers say it shouldn't be that way. I mean, kids welcome diversity. And I do think that's one positive change that we've seen with the expansion of different kids shows. And if you're starting to cry cancel culture, you probably weren't the intended audience. That, that's something that uh, I've noticed in a lot of these debates or, or especially as we've seen so many canonized narratives be updated or selected or, or even, I guess, canceled or kind of written out of the canon in that that's, that's not problematic. And if you have a problem with it, again, you are part of the problem. And I'm thinking, for example, in some beloved narratives that have been updated and adapted, like um, we love the Babysitter's Club at our house, the Babysitter's Club series on Netflix. And that has certainly evolved since it first emerged as the first book in 1986. Uh, so if some diehard Babysitter's Club fans who are older generations, right, have said, no, you have to preserve the original characters, but they are just in, in their personalities and their identities, but we've expanded who can play those characters so that the cast more closely resembles uh, or a regular society or different kinds of kids. Uh, and kids don't care. Kids like to see themselves reflected and represented. We'll take another break here and we'll return in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. Women in Science and Engineering, or WISE, helps college women prepare for and become involved in science-related careers. WISE nurtures women's interest in these fascinating and critical fields and provides mentoring and networking opportunities. The group's main goal is to assure women of their importance in all scientific and technical fields and to promote equal opportunity and treatment of women in science. I'm Dr. Judith Iriarte Gross, WISE Advisor. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. The Army ROTC College Program at MTSU prepares students mentally, physically, and emotionally to become leaders and promotes virtues of duty, honor, country. ROTC cadets are involved in all academic disciplines, athletics, and student organizations at MTSU. Full scholarships and tuition assistance are awarded based on merit. All cadets upon graduation will serve their country as second lieutenants either in the Army, Army Reserve, or Army National Guard. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. We're talking about children in media, a course uh, developed by and taught by Dr. Katie Foss, who is a professor of media studies in the College of Media and Entertainment. Parents used to worry too much about sex and violence on TV having an adverse effect of, on their, their kids' psyches, and then others said it gave kids an outlet for their feelings that kept them from acting them out uh, mm -hmm. in real life. So what does the media landscape look like now when it comes to sexual and violent content, not just TV, but across the board? Well, that's a concern we've seen with each new media platform. So that first emerged with comic books. Now I would say media content is so fragmented. It really depends on what our kids consuming. And even within a family, you might have kids, if you had five kids, they might consuming five different, completely different media diets and different exposure to potentially negative messaging regarding sex violence and, and a lot of other antisocial behaviors. So again, it just depends. It's a lot different than like, for example, a network television show in the 1950s in which everybody would be consuming the same thing. And we could say, oh, wait a minute, well, what's this message? Even though people in the 1950s weren't thinking as much about that. 
with their content. To understand what kids are consuming is, it takes work. It's effort because they're doing it in such an individualized way that you wouldn't want a kid playing Call of Duty if they're six years old, for example. Uh, but Or, um, for example, on TikTok. TikTok is such a sea of media content that while one kid might be watching something that's like how to bake cookies using Andy's mints, another kid be, could be consuming some really harmful things. So uh, it comes back to media literacy on a, a lot of the, these different topics. I don't think it's necessarily more harmful or less harmful. It just depends on what is a particular kid consuming. Uh, if mommy and daddy uh, go on uh, Netflix and they download uh, Snakes on a Plane, uh, with the very talented, intelligent actor Samuel L. Jackson using a lot <laughs> I love of that, movie. Language, uh, <laughs> that uh, you don't necessarily want your six-year-old saying when he goes no. to recess, <laughs> uh, you know, but uh, the, the child just found this because you haven't taken steps to either erase the cookie mm-hmm. or whatever. The child was just piddling around. And then all of a sudden you're being called to the principal's office because little Johnny called little Joe uh, an MF. That's not good. <laughs> no, but I'd be more concerned about a kid stumbling upon content on with TikTok. TikTok and to a lesser extent, YouTube, because the videos are a lot shorter, it's less likely the parents are going to know what they're watching and what they're repeating. At least for some kids, the, the kind of effects that were popular in movies 10 or 20 or 30 years ago, it doesn't resonate the same way that it would with uh, would have in the moment for us. So I'd be less concerned about some of the content. Certainly kids shouldn't watch Game of Thrones when they're five years old, but I'd be less concerned about that and more concerned about, again, all the things they're consuming possibly on social media. Younger kids should not have access to social media uh, unless you're consuming it together. Social media is so harsh, uh, not just in terms of language or sexual content, but in terms of what people say to each other about each other, the vitriol, the hatred that is spewed is really off-putting to me as an adult. And I'd be more worried about those kind of effects, the effects on how do we treat other people, the potential for cyberbullying, for negative body image, all of those uh, certainly are problematic with social media. So there's really not a lot of positives or positive takeaways from kids consuming or using social media at younger ages, like TikTok. It's not recommended under, under 13, but yet plenty of kids are consuming TikTok. What are the best ways for parents who are so busy that they often use media as a de facto babysitter to monitor their children's media consumption? Well, I would uh, have regular conversations with your kids to find out what are they consuming. Um, certainly using some of the security features that you can get on for tablets, for different programs, Uh, to at least have, and and yes, kids are very savvy and and can get around those, but if you combine conversations with checkpoints on devices with always consume or use your tablets in public areas in the house, right, or in areas that you're going to walk through and possibly take a look at what they're watching, uh, and then have, uh, again, regular media consumption times, like watch a movie together and then have conversations about the movie. I, I think that those are your best tactics combined with uh, boundaries on on what you can do on the tablet, but limits on how much screen time you can have. Uh, and really know for yourself, what is it that I want for my kids? And what do I want them to know about? And how do we build trust so that they can talk to me if they see something that 
that maybe is unsettling or maybe they think they shouldn't be seen or reading about or listening to. What is the grading protocol for this class? Not grades, but requirements. What do they have to fulfill, the students? So with this class, this is an asynchronous online class, I set it up uh, for students to have a lot of choices in how they create assignments and how they submit assignments. Um, I did what I call my optional Zoom method, which is if you want to have conversations with me, since I can't make it a synchronous class, especially because it started over the holidays, um, students can have regular Zoom meetings where they participate and then they don't do a discussion board post so that we can have conversations for those who want to have the time to do that. And we've had a regular group throughout this, this whole term, which has been wonderful. Um, I had students do three reflexive essays on various topics in the class, including, uh, as we discussed, their, uh, how they were raised, myself as a child, uh, on stereotyping, and then also on globalization. Uh, and then the final project, instead of doing a research paper, um, students are actually doing review videos in which they choose toys or other products marketed towards children, past or present, or a TV show or film, and then talk about it in a critical way in a video that then their peers can consume. They also had the research paper option, but I wanted to do something that was a little bit more creative, fun, and really kind of fit with the spirit of the class of looking at children media creating these products. So making a, a, a multimedia project to try to uh, assert your point as a student mm -hmm. in uh, an essay format that has audio and video components to it mm -hmm. is, uh, is part of the learning process, right? If that's the direction they want to go. Mm -hmm. And for students who may not have a, kind of the production background, uh, actually, since if they can use Zoom, you can make a video of at least because I don't grade on aesthetics or anything because that's not this type of class. The point is to be able to create media content about a topic that relates to our class. Uh, and like I said, they also could, could write a paper, but I'm really excited to see the videos. I like to have a balance of different writing exercises, discussion type things, and then also creative means of kind of uh, achieving the same goals. So I'm excited. It's been a great class and I look forward to teaching it again. If you'd like to know more about the class Children and Media, email Katie at Katie, K-A-T-I-E dot F-O-S-S at M-T-S-U dot E-D-U. Katie, thanks for being with us. Yep, thank you for having me. We'll be right back. The Tennessee Employment Relations Research Association, or TERA, gives labor relations specialists and academics a chance to share their views and their data. Terra wants academics and other interested in human resources and industrial relations to work together at meetings and conferences to strengthen the workplace. Many MTSU faculty belong to Terra, which has members in 20 states and 7 nations. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The Middle East Center at MTSU seeks to promote greater understanding of the politics, history, and culture of this vitally important region of the world. Its mission includes the promotion of outreach programs and faculty research. The center sponsors lectures by Middle East experts and scholarly exchanges. We're especially pleased to offer a new interdisciplinary minor in Middle East studies with courses in Arabic and Hebrew. This is Dr. Alan Hibbard, Center Director. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. Jimmy Hart has the middle moment. MTSU's Intercultural and Diversity Affairs Center is joining Murfreesboro Parks and Recreation, along with the Bradley Academy Museum and Cultural Center, to co-sponsor an inaugural film series called Created Equal, Tennessee Legacy Film Discussion, hosted at Patterson Park Community Center as part of Black History Month. 
The featured films are The Green Book and the PBS documentary Freedom Riders on February 12th and February 26th, respectively. Von Schell Stembridge, facility coordinator for Bradley Academy Museum, explains the event's purpose. This event was created to bridge the intergenerational gap that we noticed in programming across the city. The vision was to unify, educate, and cultivate a community to discuss and analyze films with a diverse range of people spanning from different ages, backgrounds, and ethnicities. That's MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the Record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University, is produced by the university's Marketing and Communications Office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.